So I'll turn it over to you, uh, intro, intro Paul. Sure. So this is Paul English. Paul is a uh, five-time. Oh, we got to give it up. Give it up for Paul. Give it up for Paul. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Paul is a friend and a five-time uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he started some small companies like Kayak, Lola. I'll let him tell you more, but uh, we're lucky to have him on board. And I've, uh, one of the things that I circulated recently that you mentioned was this post from, I think, is it 2002? Yeah. yeah, 2002 that Paul wrote on hiring. That was something that we looked at as a model many times at Performable, HubSpot, many companies. And, uh, and so we're honored to have him here. Great. It must be pretty good because he doesn't remember anything. So for him to be like, yeah, that was an article from 2002. This must be an <laughs> important moment. Yes. We- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, great to be here. So, all right. So actually, you right when we set this up, you tweeted, you tweeted out this article on hiring from my friend Paul English is still one of the best that I've read. So there's so many things that we could talk about with you. But I think, you know, we'll go deep on hiring. First, what what made you, like, why write this you're an engineer by trade, right? Like, why sit down and write this manifesto on on hiring and people? I think, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a programmer. Um, and earlier in my career, when I first started managing, which I resisted for years, but then once I started managing, part of managing is hiring. And I'm obsessed with hiring. I think about it every day, um, seven days a week. And when I meet people, I'm trying to think, like, Am I going to hire this person or do they know someone I'm going to hire? And someone once asked me why I'm so obsessed. And I think I grew up in a family of nine. So my parents had seven kids. And growing up in a large family, there's a lot of dysfunction that goes on. And I think you kind of observe human interactions and behaviors. And teams are, in many ways, just a different model for a family. I think really high-functioning teams are a model of a good family. And for me, it was all about how do you build a team with as little dysfunction as possible and with a lot of really phenomenal collaboration? And I've just seen the difference. I knew what it's like as an engineer to be in a team that functioned really well or to be on a team that was really stressful because there's a lot of interpersonal stuff going on. And um, I just wanted a lot more of the former and none of the latter. This actually goes back to something I saw. I don't know if this was because you were, you were prepping, but this morning you tweeted something that we've, we've talked about a lot. Um, that the complexity in business is not the business, but the people. It always comes down to the leadership and management of people. Why did you say that? Uh, random thought. I was not prepping, as okay. you know, if you listen to Seeking Wisdom, there's no prep. There's no prep. But it's something, same kind of thought pattern, right? Um, I did not grow up one of nine, but one of six. And, uh, and a, an introverted kind of engineer uh, growing up. And so, like, the observing people... And figuring out kind of patterns and systems of, you know, for so long, I think we spent all my time worried about technology and then realized like technology is like uh, the easy part. It's like nothing. And the hard part is the people. What was that shift for you, though? You mentioned you didn't you didn't ever want to manage people. Was there something that happened like you reached a certain point of success in your career as an engineer and then the only next step was to manage people or did something change? Yeah, I got my first management job was at a company called Interleaf. It was a document publishing company. And they, my boss and my boss's boss kept asking me to manage teams. I didn't want to because I just wanted to code. And back then, you know, as I was 25, I was kind of an arrogant engineer. I thought I could outcode in with the company. I'm like, why would I manage when I could just code and compete with the whole team by coding? And finally, they convinced me to manage. And it was actually kind of brutal. The first year, I think I was still coding full time and managing. And I think by the end of the year, I had 15 programmers direct reporting. Um, but I saw, I modeled that team a little bit 
off of the team that I had been a member of. And I looked at just things that worked really well and things that didn't work well. In particular, you know, engineers are people who are problem seekers. And I think many times as an entrepreneur, it's more important to pick the problem to attack than it is what the solution is you're building. I think most tech companies fail not due to building bad technology. They fail because they build technology that no one gives a shit about. They, they fix stupid problems. And for me, I was always focused on what are the big problems and not just in products or technology and companies, but what are the big problems in teams? And when I would see things that were dysfunctional a team, I would just say, um, I'm not going to have that on my team. You know, like as a manager, you're both a member of a team, your boss and your peers, but you also run a team. And I always wanted the team I ran to be stronger than the team I was on. And what do you think were common dysfunctions, right? Like your, your book of the five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah. Um, it's just too much ego. I think humility is underrated. I think the smartest people have, there's a term I use, arrogant humility, which is mm-hmm. if you're gifted and you've accomplished a lot, like you know you're good because you've been successful at a bunch of things. But if you're really, really bright, you recognize there are definitely people way brighter and there are definitely people who you can learn something from. And I've often said you could parachute me anywhere in the world. And I guarantee you the first person I met, two things. One, I could find something they know that interests me. And two, I could find something they know that they're expert at more than me. So there's yep. something I can learn from them. And um, when ego gets in the way, people stop listening and they do more talking than listening. And it's frustrating for me. And I, I also observe a lot. Yeah, uh, my team has joked that I'm five percent therapist at work, sort of psychotherapy. I have two siblings who are psychotherapists. My mom was a social worker, and um, I definitely do a lot of debugging of personal interactions. And I I look for things like um, why does this person always interrupt that person? Like why do men interrupt women more than women interrupt men? Or um, I just look for things that I think are dysfunctional, and then I jump on them, mm-hmm. and rather than ignore them, I try to debug them and say, I want to fix this. I don't want to do workarounds. I want to fix the dysfunction. What is that actually? How do you actually do that? Like if you, ju- if you notice something happening at work, I, I call it out either in real time or I grab someone right after the meeting. I say, can you hang out for a minute? You know, I want to give you some feedback and I'm always asking for feedback as well. And I think being good at giving feedback, you have to model what it's like to accept feedback. So I try to model listening really careful when people give me feedback and echoing back to them what I'm learning from them. But I also am not shy. It's probably the most difficult thing for a manager to do is to give feedback. And there's a lot of reasons why that's difficult. But I try to give real-time feedback and say, hey, this interaction I observed, I think I think I understood what you're trying to do. There might be a better way to achieve that without pissing off the other person. Talk about talk about feedback and, and our, like the mantra that has been circulating here recently about getting, you know, getting defensive and, and feedback and, and how that's kind of been now built in related to that. Yeah. So many things related. I mean, I feel like this is an episode of Seeking Wisdom, but it is like a meta episode because we talk so much about the ego humility thing. Yep. And, uh, and so one thing which you mentioned was on feedback. We talk a lot about it internally and we started to use this phrase that's like, don't get defensive. Like, you know, like, uh, that could go the wrong way, but like, we're trying to use it in a loving way of like, something's coming, we're giving you feedback. And the way we talk about it internally is like, that without feedback, there's no growth, right? And, and that has to do with the ego humility thing. Like, at some point, we all have egos, right? And so like, what we have to learn is how do we balance them? And how can we turn them off just enough so that we can keep growing? 
And the minute that you stop being able to turn it off because of whatever, maybe some success or some experience, that's when your growing stops. And so we're always encouraging everyone that, to take that feedback because without that, there's no way that you can improve. Mm-hmm. We talk about one of the examples is like, you know, like if I was sitting here right now and I had a big piece of broccoli in my teeth, like, <laughs> I would want him to tell me that, right? It's and Dave like, tells me that often. I tell him, well, because you, like, you have something in your teeth. Something in your teeth. You That's true. RX bars glued to the <laughs> yeah. <of> your mouth. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, often. Um, My wife tells me that too. Yeah. That's something you're. And, and so I think, but that's that's a different lens because it's it's natural. Like I get defensive. It's mm-hmm. not easy. A DC comes at me and says like yeah, this thing. This it's it's easy to be like, what the hell, man? Like I'm I'm out here working so hard. Can you please not do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get defensive. Uh, don't, don't do that. Defensive. But I think it's just natural to. So mm-hmm. like, I, I guess my question for you both is like, how do you manage? How do you manage through that? And like, look, I'm going to be a hard ass. This is going to come off, come across as hard, but it's really feedback to help you grow. Like, how do you, how do you manage through that? I think it's as a manager, you have to have confidence and humility. I mean, people follow confidence, and if you come across as too, um, you know, insecure or too humble people don't listen to you. So I think when you give feedback, you have to be confident. And like, I've seen this movie before and I've worked with teams like this. I just want to give you some feedback based on my observations of what's worked well on teams that I've been on. So having some confidence, but also listening to the person giving feedback to and make sure they understand it and look at their interpretation of what happened. And it could be that I misinterpreted something. And so feedback is, um, yeah, I've been managing now for 25 years, I guess it is. It's kind of hard to believe. But um, I have seen a lot. And Wait, can I? What's your oldest internet story? Because DC loves to like break out some old technology or something. What you get? What, what can you dig in the crates with? Yeah. So my oldest <laughs> internet story. He's pre internet. Yeah, <laughs> we're pre internet. If re- I ever said that, you'd be like, I recently found an article that I wrote in 1989. So it's it's pre web. Look at his. Look at him. Like, he doesn't that? know what that is. <laughs> that was a year. Was it, it was called you, 1989. Did you print that. I was two. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at Connor. Connor was not. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, so yeah. I just, sorry to derail this conversation, but mm-hmm. something always comes up on this podcast, and I won't even mention. But these be like, yeah, that's called Netscape. You ever heard of that? And yeah. I'm like, All right, um, so <laughs> something, something that's interesting. I'm reading. I have your article up about y- your hiring, and one thing that you mentioned here is like you you look for people who have a fire in their belly, who are out- outwardly competitive, and who are very goal and results driven, right? Those are very like in harsh contrast to some of the softer skills like of feedback and being a good a, a good teammate. So like that and that and that's been a challenge for us. Like how do you find people who have that fire but at the same time aren't assholes to work with? So one of my techniques that I do in interviewing, probably my favorite thing, is I ask people about teams I've been on before. And what I'll do is I'll you know, first of all, always read your resume or LinkedIn profile before I meet with you because I think it's really obnoxious to be reading it in front of a candidate. It shows like, I don't care enough about you to have done research on you before I met you. So I researched before. Um, and then I'll find something that intrigues me that I'm interested in. And even if the interview is going to be awful and they're not a good match, I at least want to be entertained for the half hour or what, the hour or whatever I'm going to spend <laughs> with the person. So I'll find something in the background that's interesting and I'll ask them for the team around that. And I will say name four people who worked on that. Just give me their first name. Or you can make up a name because I don't really care who they are, but give me four names and four titles. And then for on that specific project, um, you know, let's say you built an e-commerce website for Converse or something, and I want to know what it was like to launch a website with a big ad campaign behind it. And I'll talk about the, the people on that team. And I'll say on that launch of that website, 
tell me something that Stacy did which blew you away and something she did which was awful. And the thing that I look for is, one, I want to make sure that everyone I hire are people who can be really effusive about other people. And sometimes when people are so wrapped up in their own ego, mm-hmm. they cannot, they're not actually effusive enough. They don't get excited about other people, and that's a fatal flaw to me. And the second thing is when they talk about well, I want to make sure the thing that impresses them about that person that I'd be impressed too, to say, yeah, that sounds like a cool thing. And then when they have critical feedback to say, yeah, that would annoy me too. And if you have a candidate who basically can't think of anything negative about anyone, uh, that's a warning sign too. So I want to make sure that they can talk about a team articulately and that they have really passion for a team. I also like, I think I may, I had spent a long time since I read that article, but I think I've talked about that I also like people who are musicians that have played in bands because to be a good musician a lot of it is listening not just playing mm. and then also i like athletes not so much tennis players but athletes who play on big teams <laughs> not tennis players not, tennis players. <laughs> not you know not yeah. runners I mean, i'm just saying not people who played on a team yeah. team team sports yeah. team sports team sport. yeah you have something sim- you have something similar in the listening so mm. you, you don't say I like that. That's it. Like, tell me about four people on the team. You have something similar and you listen to, to how they're talking about uh, prior work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that I've mentioned in the past is just uh, when you're talking to someone who's leading people, like, you know, how often are they mentioning other people referencing Absolutely. or how often are they, um, you know, just mentioning themselves because they get wrapped up in that. And so one thing that we've talked about in the past is like, I've had extreme examples where uh, people I could not get them to mention another person. They only said everything was them, even though they may have led 50 people, right? Yeah. And they just say, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. And and I've turned that into a game, you know, where I try to Drink. break them and get them to say someone else's name. And there have been people that will never say it, but they would always say, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I. So that was the, the thing. That's the tell, right? They're almost an autopilot during the interview process yeah. that they don't even realize what they're doing. I mean, part of work should be fun. Um, I tell this story when I had a routine with my kids when they were little, and one morning I had to leave for work really, really early. So I um, got a phone call from my daughter, Nicole, as I was on to work, and she's like, Daddy, where are you? And I said, I had to leave really early. I had a meeting at work. And we chatted for a minute. She's okay, say hi to Uncle Dan for me. I'm thinking, Uncle Dan, like, why does she assume I'm working with my brother who's an electrician? Mm-hmm. And I st- so I had to explain to Nicole we didn't work together. I'm like, well, I had to explain to like a four-year-old yeah. what you do for a living. So I said, Dan fixes buildings, which is sort of true. And I fix computers, which yeah. is not really true, but I don't know how to explain it to her. <laughs> yeah. But so then- I, That's what you describe. Anytime anybody asks, like at a house party, computers, you say, like, I, I work in computers. Anyway, so <laughs> I, hung up, them. I hung up the phone and I started thinking about it. Like, what does Dan do for work? What do I do for work? And I realized like, we do the same thing, which is totally. although he's in construction mm-hmm. and I'm in software, we manage teams. And, you know, I was away from my kids- during the day because I'm working and sometimes people ask me why I start companies because my kids go to school I need something fun to do I mean work should be fun (laughs) and if you're not getting excited by your colleagues and your peers I mean what are you doing so (laughs) I always look for people who get excited by their job and find people that they're just thrilled to work with we think about that a lot because it's not like I'm not a math guy not good at math but I know that I spend more time here than home right and so if you just think about the hours like you have to genuinely love the people that you're going to sit next to and work on. And this is where you're going to be frustrated. This is where you're going to be pissed off. This is where you're going to have fun. And so, so it, it seems, I think that's a piece of advice that a lot of people often gloss over. Like it seems corny on the surface to be like, you have to really like the people that you work with, but it's true. This is, this is hard enough on its own. If you don't actually enjoy the team that you're going to be around, it's going to be even harder. So how do you deal with like problems, right? Like problems will, no problems matter how good you are up. to hiring, you're not a hundred percent. 
Yeah, no, I mean, um, some people say hire slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. I actually think if you're disciplined, you can hire fast, fire fast. Mm-hmm. And the discipline thing to me, like I have this seven-day rule, which I talked about back in that article, and it's still true when I meet someone. The first time I hear someone's name, like a clock starts ticking, I have seven days to hunt them down, convince them to meet me, convince them, if that goes good, convince them to meet my team, back channel them, convince them to meet my team again, make them offer the same day. And people will say, don't you make a lot of mistakes if you move that fast? And my analogy is if you watch Formula Racing and you look at a pit crew change tires, mm-hmm. if they make a mistake, they have to change tires pretty quickly. If they make a mistake, someone dies. Mm-hmm. So they become really good at changing tires. And even though like hiring isn't necessarily a life and death changing decision, tires, yeah. um, if you're disciplined about it, you can get good at it. But you do make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I've made mistakes... I'll often say it's not a bad person, it's a bad hire because there's something about this person that I like during the interview. They, they're awesome at some things, but they're just not fit for the company. I try to coach them really qu- quickly when I see things not working out too well. And if it doesn't work, we separate. And I've often said that if you get fired in Boston, you want to get fired by me because I do ridiculous things to try to take care of people after we fire them. So I help them find a job. I'm always available to them. You know, I give them my home phone number, my cell phone number, whatever. And... um I take care of them because I feel a responsibility as a hiring manager mm-hmm. to have changed their job. And if you're going to change it again, I don't know. I just feel like you should be good to them. Are there common like uh, things aside from being an asshole? That are- I think being an asshole is probably 90% of it. Uh, it's rare. Like I would say this of all the people I fired and I, unfortunately being a manager for 25 years, I've had to fire a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I'd say 10% were due to incompetence, but 90% wow. were due to team dysfunction. And it's really hard. And when you see people have bad interaction and you try to coach them on it, it's like, you know, to be an effective person at Lola, let's say my travel company, um, you need to influence people around you. And if you're having this harsh reality where when you're walking down the hall, people are diverting their eyes away from you, like huge danger sign that Mm -hmm. people aren't gravitating towards you. Yep. So I think people should be concerned if their peers aren't gravitated towards them. Mm -hmm. It means you need to work a little bit more on the EQ. Definitely. And do you think, are there patterns, you mentioned Lola, and are there patterns you're doing now versus 2002 that are different or from Kayak? One big difference between Lola and Kayak. So Lola's about the same age as Drift. We're Mm -hmm. about two years old, about 50 people, about the same size. Um, With Kayak, Kayak was my fourth company I had started. Mm -hmm. And the first 10 hires were 10 people I've worked with before. So I just hired the best people I could possibly find. With Lola, I went out of my way to hire new people because I didn't want to do the same movie again. And I, when I left Kayak, I told friends when I would never work in travel again because been there, done that, (laughs) spent 10 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah, But then, um, the Lola idea came and we decided to go for it, but I didn't want to do it with the Kayak team. So I went out of my way to try to find people who are outside my network and it's been amazing. It's one thing to bring someone from a prior job that you know is a rock star and they're rock star for you in the new company, but it's unbelievably gratifying to take someone you've not worked with before mm-hmm. and to watch them excel in ways that you haven't seen yep. because as a learning CEO, it allows me to learn when I see people that have executed in a different space than I've executed in. So mm-hmm. I get really turned on by people who perform successfully in a completely different space than I've been in. What is learning CEO? I like that. Uh, every interaction you have to be learning something, yep. right? It's not just about lecturing. It's um, I I've often often said I only hire entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, like even my assistant is an is an entrepreneur, and I think that if you're good at hiring entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are people that are good that are learning people, mm-hmm. and every interaction with an entrepreneur, there's something unique about the way they look at the world that 
I can learn from. So it's everything from when I give them feedback to brainstorming and product. I also spend a bunch of time with people who, so I think I have a pretty good filter for hiring people who are smart. Um, I, I definitely make hiring mistakes, but I think the smart thing I can get, mm-hmm. I think that you can, you can get that in the interview and background check, but occasionally I'll have people really smart, but I disagree with them a lot. Mm-hmm. I end up spending a lot of time with those people because I'm like, there's a guy on my team right now. I guess I won't name him, but, um, <laughs> really sharp guy, young guy. Yeah. And when I hired him, I was blown away by like, just really, really sharp guy, but I disagree with him a lot. Mm-hmm. And rather than cutting him out and just ignoring him, I decided like he sees the world differently than me. I'm just going to spend a lot of time with him mm. to try to figure out how he sees the world. And we're in the midst of it right now. I work really close with him every day and I'm learning something from in every interaction. Do you still disagree or like, cause where I'm going, there's like, can you, is it possible that you guys are just completely different people or can you just get closer to the same thing? Usually when people, when two smart people disagree, it's because they, there's variables they're seeing which are different. So they're looking at the world slightly differently or they have a different goal. So if you're transparent about what your goals are, sometimes that'll diffuse tension. If you're fighting about something, you don't realize, oh, you're optimizing for CAC and I'm optimizing for um, customer SAT. Or this, mm-hmm. you can be just wired to think about problems differently. In this case, um, I had a new product there yesterday, which I thought was like the greatest thing in the world. It turned out my team just shot all over it, including <laughs> this guy. And I went to him immediately because I was super excited with this idea. I yeah. first drafted an email to my team saying, please implement this by next week. I literally wrote that. <laughs> and I wrote, I sent it to five people. And I'm like, before I hit send, I should probably run it by this guy, this really sharp guy on my team who I always disagree with. So I went over and talked to him. He's like, this is the worst idea ever. <laughs> and I spent probably a few hours trying to sell my idea to other people, but going back to him. And ultimately I decided he was right. My idea was stupid. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. I think I know who that person is. I'm going to, I'll ask you later. What's your, what is your hit rate on hiring? You think these days? Cause like, um, you know, we've talked to a bunch of people and they said, it's just, you just have to accept that hiring is fucking hard and it's always going to be 50% or 70. Do you know, do you have a sense of what yours yeah, is? Yeah. So today? when you hire people, you say they're, they turn out to be A, B's or C's, right? A are the superstars, B's are the supporters and C's are people who either become A's or B's or you're uh, like, and do you guys actually go and grade people out after you hire them? Do you have a process? We do. We rate people on two things on their impact on the team and their impact on the customer. So How everyone quick, gets rated do do that after a month or, um, we do it formally twice a year. Cool in um i think it's january and august but we also do it sometimes we do it during the interview mm-hmm. we actually have a spreadsheet um, it's different in each department but in engineering we had a spreadsheet and we would guess what people are going to score on team and work and sometimes i literally with my cto dennis um this is really harsh but sometimes 24 hours after they started or a week after they started we're like how do we think we did in this assessment because when you see them actually working with people, yeah. it's different than them talking about working with people. So different. But um, if you say ABCs, I think I'm – if I'm going to hire someone, I'm like, this person's absolutely A+, plus, like rock star. I think when you really feel it, I think I'm probably 70% right. If someone who I think is um, like, just like really solid fitting with the team, I don't know, maybe a little bit above that maybe 75% right. But the people who turn out not fitting, obviously I'm 0% right. So I've had a bad hire because I've thought they were going to fit in really well and they didn't. But um, I don't know, just try to get better all the time and make corrections as, as it need be. And do you try to screen on, like the interaction part, totally agree, so important. And you can't, 
figure that out in the interview process. You have to, and we used to do in the past, like working projects or like have them come in the office and see, especially with engineers, see how they work with someone else. And you can see like right away, like how's it fitting? Like how's the styles? And do you do any test projects like that to try to simulate that? Well, it's a couple of things. If someone is really awesome, they might be like, fuck you. I'm not going to do work for you. For totally. Me. Totally. Um, yeah. One thing I like doing is it's also can be intimidating. Just hand someone a keyboard and say, go write some Python code yeah. to do whatever. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll have them sit next to me on the same side of the table with a laptop. looking at it. So I'm controlling the laptop, doing things. And then I'll say, well, how would you do this? And I'll slide the laptop over them and if I'm a new ops engineer, I want to see, like, do they know how to configure web servers? Yeah. And I watched, like, literally, can they type fast enough? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacy, our head of people ops and customer service, she, when we interview customer service people, part of her interview process is she does live chats with people to yep. see, are they funny? Are they mm-hmm. fast? Are they succinct? Mm-hmm. And I like engineers to be able to be all those things, too, and I look for that. But another thing I like doing in interviews, I'm really into pair interviewing where there's yep. – two interviewers with a person. And there's a couple of reasons I do that. One is, so I'm really guarded of my time. Uh, we can talk about time management and mm-hmm. things I do to manage my time. But I want to make sure that if this interview is going to be a bomb, I better at least have fun for the next 30 or 60 minutes, whatever it's going to be. Usually it's 30, but sometimes 60. So if I invite someone on my team who I'd love to sit in on me, it's like, okay, well, the interview can't's not a fit, but at least I get to spend half an hour with this um, fun person. I like that. <laughs> That's my good. Team. My buddy. Yeah, but we're tra- trying to get but out. But the other yeah, thing we try go. to do is we fight, I fight amongst someone on my team. So like Lincoln Jackson's my design mm-hmm. chief and he and I have sat next to each other for like 15 years now. We work together, sat next to each other at Kayak and now uh, he was a design chief at Kayak and now he's a design chief at Lola. And we will fight with each other in front of an interview candidate and it bewilders some of them. But I like to see how they deal with conflict. <laughs> we need yeah. to write this down. The new interview playbook at Drift is David and Elias and they- And they sit between? The candidate they, and like, they sit oh between us? <laughs> That's your job. You sit in the. No, that's my job. That's his job. You sit between us. It's like it's like fighting with parents. One of them looking at you like, you know what drives me crazy about him? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Has that ever happened, Elias? Never. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Yeah. See. Um, Let's talk about time management. That's a good. A good uh, hiring and time are are two really uh, two good topics. So, Mm -hmm. what what was your thought on? Yeah, we need. I need secrets for this. Give him your time management. Okay, I use Google Calendar. I color code my appointments one of three colors. It's either Lola, which is the most important thing. That if I'm going to be at Lola forty plus hours a week, I need to make sure on a given day I'm spending time actually working on Lola. Mm -hmm. Those are colored in uh, purple. Actually, I have four colors. Um, Then I have um, nonprofit work, which I color in yellow. I do a lot of work with um, in Haiti and in with homelessness in Boston and different um, groups in Africa and elsewhere. And I color code that yellow. And I want to make sure I do a certain amount of nonprofit work every week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it turns out to be too much. Like I'll do, I think I had four hours of nonprofit meetings yesterday. So I have to keep a check, keep balance on that. So I'll glance at my calendar week to week and see am I spending too much time on one thing versus another. Uh, green means personal investment. So it could be working out at the gym. It could be like today we had a meditation seminar. I brought in an amazing mm-hmm. woman from Cambridge Insight Meditation Center and gave a lecture to 15 of our people about how to meditate. And um, that was awesome. And I want to make sure that when I glance at my calendar of the week that there's a number of green boxes there that I'm doing investment and in sort of personal growth, health, whatever. And then I have personal time. And I do look at my calendar regularly. When I meet with my assistant, I I mean, I talk to my assistant constantly. Um but we have one meeting in particular at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week, and we'll glance at my calendar for the next two weeks, and I'm looking for balance. And if I see I'm spending too much time with one or not enough with another, I'll make it sort of course adjustments along the way. That One of the dangers in calendar management these days is 
it's too easy to accept a meeting. Mm. And one thing would be interesting is look at your Google account for the last month and try to say, okay, for all the meetings you did last month, what percent were meetings that you requested and what percent were meetings that you accepted? I think a lot of us end up getting in a trap where we just accept meetings coming in and then you're not controlling your destiny. So if you're reactive instead of proactive, um, if you have extraordinary people around you, you know, you might get lucky and bouncing around like a pinball and maybe you'll score. But um, I think sort of the master of time management is proactive, not just reactive. And so teach me this. How do you filter, <laughs> how do you filter uh, outside requests, whether they're personal or professional, right, um, outside of Lola yeah. that come in for your time without being an asshole? So I have a blow-off template. Oh, yeah, um, blow-off I need Can more. you share that? Can I have it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Please. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, and I edit it a little bit. But I'm also a big fan of, um, do, you know, do, you know what, do you have an iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay, do you know what auto-text macros are? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I have... Can you explain to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you go in settings, general, keyboard, auto-text. Yeah. Yeah. And you can have things like a lot of my emails I'll link with kind regards, Paul. But I have it set up so if I type KRP, it has kind regards, mm-hmm. Paul. But most of my macros set up with the letter Q uh, and then just a letter. So after like QM is my mobile number. QA is the address to my house. QD is directions to get to my house. QBusy is my blow-off template. Um and I'll edit it per person, but it allows me to be really quick with email. So I get hundreds of emails a day, but my inbox at all times has about 10 items or fewer because I'm it's just amazing. maniacal about keeping up with it. I have a whole email handling thing too, religion about it. But um, I think when a meeting comes in, you have to think, it's like, yeah, that person's really cool. I did meet them before and I enjoyed spending time with them. But if I spend an hour with them, it's an hour I'm not spending with the designers at Lola. Mm-hmm. And I could be fucking up Lola a little bit by not helping on that. So it's an opportunity cost where mm-hmm. there's all this eye candy and interesting stuff coming in, but you just have to say, you know, what's my number one thing for the day or mm-hmm. what's the one one or two things I got to get done this week? If it's not on that list, you shouldn't do it. That's awesome. See, my technique is just don't answer email. <laughs> so it just goes, it's just like. Then there's one day a that's week. That's not a good technique. Then there's one day a week where I can tell he's going through his email. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what, you got anything else in, in, yeah, in your mind? All right, l- let's do questions. I know a bunch of people got questions. And this is we'll we'll relay them back. So, what do we got? Oh, everybody has an opinion about everything at this company, and now nobody has a word to say. That yeah. I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Afterwards, they'll be like, "Why didn't you ask this? Yeah. What's going on?" Yeah. Oh. All right, Kara. I'm going to repeat it for all the loyal listeners. Can you answer it? Can you repeat that? Chime. Yeah. How do you sum that up? Well, how do you instill culture? Right? Like, so how do you instill culture? Yeah. yeah and how do, how do I mean, you my, my read of the question is, how do you make people value team? How do you make people see that uh, working on team is something they should work on? I think there, I have two kids, both in college, and there are some, not everything, but there are some things in common with parenting and managing. And part of it's, you know, carrot versus stick. And I'm a big believer in positive feedback. And when you see something awesome, like celebrate it. And a lot of people don't do that. And if you see someone do a positive team interaction, tell them that was amazing what you just did there. And if they're getting positive feedback, being directed about a particular thing, it works really well. I'll give an example of one positive feedback that I got once in my career. Um, this back in 
1994 or 95, I was being recruited away from Interleaf to run engineering at an uh, internet startup. And when I first met this, the founder of this company, his name is Sean O'Sullivan, the company's called Netcentric. Uh, halfway through the interview, or maybe 10 minutes interview, Sean, he's this crazy Irish guy, really fun. He said, you're bigger than me, but I used to play rugby and I'm not letting you leave this room until you sign this offer letter. <laughs> That's and an elite technique. It's a, it's a line I've used many times <laughs> yeah. actually since yeah. then. Um, Stacy introduced me. I keep talking to Stacy because she's sitting here. I had a people Hello, Stacy. But Stacy um, introduced me to a woman once. Uh, her first name is Rachel, who Stacy was really excited about me meeting to interview. And I was looking at her resume before I went in, and I'm like, okay, looks interesting, but why the fuck am I wasting my time meeting this person? She has no relevant background. Um, she was a military commander in Iraq and Afghanistan, young woman. And I definitely am a big fan of military. Uh, people who have military training. I think is a real positive. But I went and meet her. And in five minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like redesign the company around this woman. Like, she's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think I used that line in her. I'm like, okay, you're, you've probably like killed people in battle, but you're not leaving this room until you sign an off. <laughs> and um, to me, what I learned from Sean mm-hmm. that day was if you see something awesome, just say it. It's amazing how often we forget to do that. And sometimes people who are really smart, you assume like, okay, they know they're smart, so you don't have to tell them. And sometimes people who are really smart don't actually get a lot of positive feedback. So what I try to do is when I see something amazing, I just, I mean, I'm very childlike in many ways, but I, when I see something amazing, I just stop and say, that was amazing. And if they see that I, the things I'm really amazed at are the team interactions more than anything else, in many cases, they'll model themselves after that. Cool. Great one. What do you got, Will? When you think about you know, hiring in players, players, like really talented people want to grow and develop and learn. And I think a lot of it is done on the job, but a lot of it's through coaching. How do you think about employee development and growth over time? So a couple of things. One is, um, do you got... Do you use the concept of skip manager? Do you know what that is? Yeah, no, is. yeah so skip manager is your manager's manager. Yep. And I think the skip manager has has career accountability for people so that for those of you who don't check in with your manager's manager, you should because hopefully, and I'm assuming that all the managers here are amazing just because um, I'm a huge, huge fan of DC and Elias and others here. And I'm assuming these guys are once again built a really extraordinary team. But while your manager's looking out for you, your manager's manager, by definition, is looking at a wider set of things every day. They're looking across departments, not just your department, and chatting with them every now and then about how, how do you think I'm doing? What can I do to impact the company more? I think is really useful. I also encourage people to learn outside of the company. So I am a big fan of learning from other leaders, bringing mm-hmm. people in, sending people out to talk to other companies. Um, I'm always networking f- to find people who have been to other com- other successful other um, companies. And I think that if you're training people to do that as well, that helps them sort of chart a course. Do you have something that you dig into in the interview process to see if this person is a, is a learner? Do you ask them about things that they're doing? Yeah. So I like, okay, it's not that everyone I hire is a big reader. Mm-hmm. I'm a big reader. I, I'm biased towards people that read. So I'll, I'll ask too. them like, what are you reading? That question intimidates people. Probably not as much as it intimidates Sour Paling. She probably doesn't know how to read. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry. sorry. I can't believe I went this I far know, I know. This is without good. a political comment. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was, um, but Why does I it do, intimidate people? Because most people don't read? I think either they don't read or they think that I want them to 
talk about some elite, like really elite, (laughs) like, you know, really fancy book. Mm -hmm. And I, um, yeah, I think that's a good sign of people who are learners. I also ask them for role models outside their company. I'll ask them who inside the company is inspirational to them and why, but I'll also ask them like who in industry is inspirational to them Mm -hmm. and see if they have ever looked outside their company. Love it. Oh, my soulmate. We'll get it. We'll get everybody. We'll go to the back, Pete, and then we'll come up. Um, yeah. If you were going to give me some like coaching or handling on ego management, advice on you know, where my ego or like um, counteracting that, what it does to How do you manage your own ego? What's the process for coaching that? That's Pete. Yeah. So there's ego and super ego, right? There's sense, sense of self and how you relate to other people. And I would just ask for feedback and you don't have to necessarily ask everyone for feedback because that seems a little weird, but you should pick people to model yourself after here. And I'm not talking about the org chart, so don't necessarily, I don't really care where people are in the org chart, but if there are people here who you think have good team skills and it could be one of your customer service people just is phenomenal at getting stuff done and getting people to do stuff for them. Um, I have another story about product management, about EQ, but um, model your, try to figure out who you want to model yourself after and ask them for feedback. Like, how do you think I'm doing? And and I like specifics too, rather than generalities. Like, how do you think that meeting went? Because um, I think the more specific you are, the easier it is to give direct feedback. That's good. Do we have a minute for your product manager EQ story? Yeah. So I, um, I mean, I'm an, I'm an engineer, but I'm, I more think of myself as a product manager now more than anything else and particularly focused on design. And I've often tried to coach other people new to PM about what it's like, what you have to do to be successful to PM. And one of the things are like all of PMs come to me whining saying the engineers didn't do what I asked them to do. I've never heard and that I'll, before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll say that's one of two things. Either your idea was stupid or you have no influencing skills. So what I need to coach you as a PM is one, how to refine your ideas to make sure they fit company goals and to fit what customer needs are. But two, how do you influence engineers? And so I teach them you know, tri- tricks and techniques about how to get engineers. I don't mean to be so, to say to do what you want because I care what the engineers think about too. But to be a good PM, you have to be able to get people to follow you. And to be a good customer service person, you have to get people to follow you. And a lot of times, customer service people should go walk up to the engineer and say, when, when a customer does this and the code does this, that seems really fucked up. Can we fix that? Is there some way to fix that? And if that customer service people can get engineers to make those fixes, it means there's two things that customer service person is doing. One is they're really good at problem identification, mm-hmm. like di- discerning an important problem versus a stupid problem. And the second thing is they have good influencing skills. And those are probably 50-50 as far as importance of the company. You need both of those things. Love it. Daniel. Top, I'm gonna, you have to go top three because that's what the people want. Top three books. Maybe not top three, but some. give us some books. Leave us with some books. I don't know. Um, I'm just, for some reason, I like Sheryl Sandberg's book. I like, um, I like reading books about leaders. I liked um, the Elon Musk book. I thought it was interesting. I think I have a friend who works at Elon Musk for eight years, so I've learned lessons about him from my friend who worked directly for him, but it's fun to read about him. Um, of course, 
everyone is influenced by the book about jobs. Um, I think that was not a great book, but there are great stories in that book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just read biographies a lot. When do you, when do you read? Usually at night, uh, about an hour on a Kindle. And then when I travel incessantly on planes. Love it. Alicia, you had something? How do you maintain culture at an early stage company versus a big company? So my thing is culture is not something you write on a wall. I'm kind of glad. I thought there's going to be motivational posters. I'm kind (laughs) of glad there's no motivational posters. Why did you think that? You think he's a motivational quote guy? I, I David's actually guy. one of my favorite people on Twitter. I love uh, his <laughs> tweets. I don't know where he comes up with this shit, but I love. <laughs> Me neither. I, Me I neither. love. I love. Love. Love following yeah. on Twitter. But I've always said that culture is not something you write on a wall. Culture is how you treat people other treat each other every day, mm-hmm. and that can be practiced on a two person team, on a three person team, or a fifty person team. And it's something that you have to be mindful of all the time. So, if nothing else, if I were to give someone advice, whether they're working at Wayfair or Drift, and those are two very different companies. But if I would give them advice about how to improve the culture at Wayfair, how to improve the culture at Drift, I would say just observe interactions and try to figure out how can I be a better teammate and how can I model myself and how can I reward and and f- shine a light on people who are doing well. So I'd just focus on the interactions. I have a question for you, and we'll wrap it up unless we got one more. Um, what's something that you hate doing as a founder and CEO that you still have to do? Uh, anything finance related. Um, I hate micromanaging programmers. Like I get really worked up about product issues, but when we've had the meeting and we fight about stuff and I like fighting about product, but we have the fight, I leave the room and I trust the engineer to make the right decision. They might go away and disagree with me, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm not good at following through on, you know, some people, I had a guy who used to work for me, phenomenal VP of engineering, and he never trusted anyone. And he used to keep, he had this crazy system for how he used Gmail with labels about when he would send me an email, he would label it and then check back a week later to see if you followed up on that issue. I thought that was a disaster because it just created incredible inefficiencies. And I think you should trust people. So mm-hmm. I'm terrible at detailed follow through, but part of it is because I don't, believe in it i believe in hiring really good people have the fight don't hold back really speak your mind and then leave the room and let them decide what to do love it great way to you got you nope that's a great way to send us out of here all right don't forget everyone in this room we leave six star on seeking wisdom leave us a rating yes. on apple podcast and please check out lola travel what's your url Lola.com. Lola.com. That's pretty badass, right? Yeah. That's one less letter. Yeah, we got five. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. (laughs) And uh, check out what they're doing. Follow Paul on uh, on, uh, Twitter. And don't forget to come to to Hypergrowth, promo code Seeking Wisdom, Mm -hmm. where you can meet awesome people. Not as awesome as Paul, but pretty close. Love it. Thank you, Paul. Let's give it up for Paul. Thank you. Thanks a lot.